Jun wanting to go deep. And he's got him! Jamison Williams eating up the yardage again. 81-yard reception. Here's a big hole. Look out, he is gone! Travion Henderson. And hand of Reese Hall. Reese Hall! Welcome back to Burning the Red Shirt. I'm your host, Zach Tao. And again, Chris K and Andrew Katz are with me. Um, you guys doing all right? Doing good. I'm doing, I'm doing good, man. Uh, rocking my traditional Hawaii getup. I love I've, it. I've actually, I've actually seen that the, like other people have posted the, the same home field shirt, unsurprisingly, because it's really sweet. But their versions look so much sharper. And I, I don't know if mine's just been worn to shreds and like it's faded and stuff, or if maybe... I, like I got it pretty early in the game. Like I was an early stage uh, uh, investor, and so maybe they up like their quality since then. But, but you should talk about your your shirt, Chris. Yes, <laughs> please hard do. Pa- hard pass, hard pass. Uh, Who is that? Who is that on your shirt? Yeah, it's a Vanderbilt shirt. So that's all I gotta say about that. Right. Um, I will say, I have a theory that I love home field. Obviously, I have like literally thirty shirts, but not every shirt fits the same. I am a, I'm like, I'm a large, uh, maybe an XL. And I find myself in this weird, my wife likes me in a large. I don't necessarily feel fully comfortable in a lot of, like in some of my larges. It's weird. They you don't fit the same. Small. They don't fit the same. My Wisconsin large does not fit my Vandy large, which does not fit the same as my USC large. That's all See, I'm that's saying. tough for me. I want to jump in. I just I'm I'm in between XL and 2X. So I'm, like I will say I the way I think about it is large is more of like a like I'm wearing like a jeans or something a little bit more tighter around the waist. And then like a if I, I have like maybe khaki shorts a little bit more loose, so I go XL with them. Or like I'm going to the beach, I wear an XL. So both of them fit well. It's just like I have to determine what my what my gear is for that day. So both of them are great. It's just you have to kind of like pick and choose. Yeah, where for you're sure. At. All right. Well, <clears throat> now that we've done our home field little promo there. Yeah. Well, they um, well we do we are required by law to talk <laughs> about them for sixty seconds. So there doing we go. that part. I think we did. Did a good job there. All right, let's let's jump into it. Um, had a few topics that we kind of spitballed throughout the week and got a couple um, responses, couple couple conversations on Twitter about topics. Um, I believe Andrew, when you put this out there, I'm assuming you're meaning Corey Cavender's question. I don't know. Have I don't have that on? No, Where is yeah, it? it's Corey. I mean, he qualified his question that he's a new subscriber, and I would push back if we had enough of a, a subscribership where it actually mattered. But <laughs> but um, beggars can't be choosers at this point in the game. Once we get big enough where we can just act really pompous, uh, then we'll do it. Okay. Well, I got right. his question. I found it. I found it. Okay. So obviously, he says new follower here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, so he says, his poli- per policy, his question must be answered. Are you guys finding you have a preferred draft slot based on where guys are falling in drafts? I tend to like my teams better the later I pick in the first round. And I actually responded to this one. Um, and I said, I kind of agree with him. I, I prefer to pick later in the first round because – I didn't feel that there was a guy that won it won one. I don't feel a hundred percent confident about who I would pick. It, it might change to based on the day. Um, so I feel like if later in the draft, I feel like, all right, those decisions are made for me. I know who the next guys, the guys that are from five to 12 kind of are. How do you guys feel? Can I, can I break news? I, yeah. I get, I get all the push notifications unfiltered to my phone because I'm a psycho. Brady yeah. won the power struggle with Bruce Arians and forced Bruce Arians to quit coaching the Bucks. He's he's moving to a front office role, so Brady kicked him out of head coaching. Whoa! Yeah, kind of cool, right? Uh, yeah, I mean it's kind of neat. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but 
so I I'm with you generally speaking. Like I love I love drafting from the wheel uh, in our um, in the champion series that that Greg Debbie Warehouse runs. Right, it's twelve. Chris said it was ten. It's twelve. It makes perfect sense that it's twelve because we each get a, a draft slot once. Um, right, You're right. And there's 12 You're right. So I picked twelfth in this one that we just that we just finished up the other day. And generally, like I, I love the wheel. I love just getting two picks in a row and being able to do cool shit. It's it's the best. But the first couple of rounds this year so far, I'm not really loving what I can do with the first couple picks when I'm that deep in draft. Like I feel like there's a clear tier break at like six, seven. There's probably it's probably like one through four, and then five through eight. And then after that, it's kind of like I feel like there's a real drop. Like the one, the one through four and five through eight are all pretty close. And then after that, I feel like it's a pretty big tier drop. Um, if you're about grabbing early quarterbacks, then you can like do you can just grab those got two guys on the wheel, no problem. But if you're not trying to play that game, I don't know. I, I feel like running back, it get like I I I did Charbonnet and Tillman from. 112-2-1, and I didn't. I mean, I wasn't really thrilled about it, but at the same time, I didn't want to. I wasn't really interested in like Bryce Young at the uh, our uh, one of our most common t- talking points on the show, right? Uh, general uh, general hating of drafting of Bryce Young at value or where he's going generally in drafts. So I wasn't really interested in playing that game. So, and I didn't really. I didn't really want to just force myself into a, a player or a, t- a type of player that didn't really conform to the strategy that I want that I generally like to go with. So I just, I probably cost myself some overall points, but I was, I know what knew what I wanted to do in the draft. So just grab those guys. Um, but it felt like I wasn't, I was playing catch up relative what most of the other people were getting on in the form of their first couple of picks. So I feel like, when you are drafting at the end of the draft this year, things will change, right? It's only March going on April, but right now, if you're doing a uh, draft, a best ball draft, whatever, a draft across all 130, you're at the conclusion of the first couple of rounds. If you're drafting at the end, you're probably playing catch up. I would say, for me, coming to this question, I would say I like 101, I like 104, I like 105. I think. I think there's a clear top five picks, and then there's a tear break. Mm, yeah, basically five to six. Who's picks. five? So you got Jackson Smith and Jigba. You got Travion Henderson. You got Bijan. You got Jameer Gibbs. Okay, so you put Gibbs in there. Oh, of course I put Gibbs in there. I've picked Gibbs <laughs> like literally 30 times already here. And then I think you got Deuce Vaughn. That's your five. Okay. Not Stroud. And well, give me a second here. And then I think if you're that high, and but I think here's the problem with going Stroud is you can go Gibbs. If you look at my last draft, okay. If you look at this this one we just recently did, I went Gibbs at 105. Then I went Sam Hartman in the second, and then I went Will Rogers in the third. You could have subbed in maybe. Ewers and uh, Brendan Armstrong at the same spot there for Will Rogers, just for reference. Why would you go Stroud there at five when you can get those two guys at quarterback? So, I but I think ultimately you go JSN at one hundred and one. You have plenty of opportunities at quarterbacks at yeah your you know end of the second and then early third, obviously. Um, but I think that the thing is with those is you have to be cool with taking quarterbacks early. If you want to be hammering like running backs receivers early, I don't think like the top five picks is for you. I think it's more, I think you're more likely or more prone or better off with that later half. Um, I just think in, in terms of picks, I think there's a clear top five. It's the five I mentioned, right? And they're all running backs, receivers, mainly running backs. I'm not sold on Xavier Worthy as a top five pick. A.T. Perry, um, Rashina Lee. We talked about these guys, right? Brayshawn uh, or Braylon Allen. Lou Nichols. Lou Nichols is a great option there, but not like I think those are all guys that like are good for the second half of the first round. But I think you get into this area where like. 
You could also, in another draft, potentially see like a Charbonnet. And I, by the way, I love Charbonnet. I love Tillman. I love what you did. Thanks, but man. I just, but you're in a spot where you're in the spot, right? You take your yeah. guys. So you do what you got to do. But I think you could also see both of those guys taken in the mid to second round. Yep. Or mid to late second round. You're just in this weird spot where you're forced to go for your guys. And I would, I would prefer the, the first half of the first round is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. It's a, I mean, it, I don't, I don't know if it's always this way, but it feels like you can, you can start to nitpick and find problems with, with the, with top players really quickly outside of like the big four, big five. Like there's what you can really easily craft ways that, that things don't work out. Yeah. Can we take a quick second? I Mm -hmm. put together a poll that was crazy (laughs) nice because of all the CTC guys. Thank you very much. All you guys who retweeted it. Uh, basically saying, like, do you have a 101? Like, do you believe there's a true 101 in the draft? Did you both and, – and this is talking best ball and redraft. This is not talking CTC or Devi or any of that. This is just strictly one year. Tell me who your best players are. Did you guys see the results? Because I'm curious. I saw you- it uh, <clears throat> when there was 80-some-odd votes and okay. John was the I'm, I'm looking at it right now. So we did Trevion Henderson. I said Trevion Henderson. I said uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Bijan Robinson. And then I said just straight up, I don't believe there's a true 101 in the draft. And I'm not going to lie. I'm very – the guy I believe is a 101 basically was last. So I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on the the poll. Well, I took uh, Henderson. Um, I think it's mainly because I don't – like taking receivers that 101 because I think it's kind of goes back to the conversation Andrew I think believe in the last pod we did that generally you can find receivers um they're more there's more of them to find and they kind of emerge more so than running backs do when the stud running backs are there you kind of grab them um that's why I lean Henderson yeah, I, I would, I would, leave. I mean, that's what I've been doing um, for most of the drafts where I've been picking early. If Henderson's there, I take him. I took JSN one time just to mess around where I did have the one on one and didn't really love the way my draft shaked out. So um, I voted, I just wanted to be contrarian. So took the the last one, I think, when I actually voted. Uh, but I, I would, uh, Trey Beyond's my dude. Yeah. Well, Bijan got basically 40% of votes, and we're at 145. So you're talking about 58 votes out of 145. That's, that's your C2C boys, though. That's all. I mean, based. but can you blame them? I mean, I, me personally, I would have gone, if I'm ranking them, I go Jackson Smith and Jigba. I go Bijan. I probably go Gibbs, Deuce Vaughn, and then I probably go Trey Leon. Personally, so it makes it fun. Yeah, but that isn't that kind of the whole point that it's there's not a clear one. <laughs> one, one. Yeah, to me it's clear. I I would go. Would you say that, me, but like, personally, I would have gone. I'd go JSN and then I go quarterback in a running back or a receiver. But I guarantee you, I guarantee if you ask five different people to rank those five, you're going to get a different five order. Right, like that's sure. that's kind of the whole thing. Like so. I wouldn't take Smith and Jigba first. Now, if I'm sitting there second or third, maybe I'm I'm taking him. But like I, first, I'm not. I don't think I'm taking wide receiver. Like just as a general rule for me. Yeah, I will say one of my favorite follows. Someone that's always interacting with everything. He's super degenerate, underrated. ATL Dan asked <laughs> or said, "Has anyone ever won a CFF league?" with a receiver as their best player. And I am way too lazy to look that up, so I don't know. But I'm, I'm posing that question to you guys. My initial answer is no. I, I like The leagues that I've done well in, at least, not maybe win, but done well in, I, it leans, I feel like, quarterback, running back. Yeah. What do you guys think? I'll say I know I won a league with Brandon Cooks as my – See, I don't know if he was my best player though, because I had really good quarterbacks too. But Brandon Cooks was was a machine at Oregon State. Yeah. I just 
I don't know if I, I can mean, my best player. I feel like we could have prepped for this, and I apologize, but like, yeah. when was the last time a receiver was top five in fantasy points? Well, that would I mean, Brandon really... Cooks was like insane. That's such a, right? that's such a CFB dynasty question. He he loves all that stuff. Oh yeah, he would definitely pull all that. He would run all of that, and he would have an answer. But I mean, did the team with Jarris Stearns not win their league last year? Uh, guilty as charged. <laughs> did it, you didn't win your league? Yeah, Rebel Nut took me down in the finals. Oh no! But that was like a a, a forty team league with like thirty starting roster spots, right? Like no, it 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 was <laughs> uh, who's who started who's startup is it Heisey startup fourteen team, uh, full PPR. Nothing too interesting outside of that, um, but a few like. A few of us just had monster teams, and like we both we both put up high scores in the finals. Jareth Jareth did nothing in the finals. I don't know if you remember that was the week they played Marshall, and he I think he only had like five for twenty five or something. So that hurts. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I'll go back to ATL Dan, my dog Dan. Dude, he he's said, a man. He, I follow him because of you, and he, we're we're talking we're out here talking literature today and shit. Super <laughs> underrated. Um, honestly, I feel bad. I need to like meet him at a bar somewhere. So maybe we do that. And this is an invitation. Uh, he goes. I voted Bijan because they play Kansas and Baylor in the playoffs. I mean, if you're talking about next level thinking in terms of if we're all thinking these top five guys, at least in my eyes, like let's say maybe these top five guys are on the same boat. Like, why wouldn't you take the guy that's going to face Kansas and Baylor in the playoffs? That's a great move. I, I read – actually, I don't remember who it was. They posted something similar. They said, you know, to, to succeed in CFF, you your regular season, you just got to – Your boy Mitch posted this. Yep. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay, you know where I'm going with it. So, yeah. like, you basically survive in the in the regular season, get to the playoffs, and have a roster set up for those last two to three weeks to, to dominate. But that's a very, I mean, that's hard, hard right? Yeah. Like for one or two guys, I guess you could take that, that gamble on, but if you build your whole roster that way, what happens if you, you know, your first six mm. weeks, you're one and five, right? Like, I yeah. think it's hard to try and do that optimization intra-season, but from the outset, um, maybe it's, maybe it's a tiebreaker if you're really, you have nothing else to go on, but like, I, I think I've mentioned before the commissioner of my home league will not draft anyone with a bye week in the championship, but he never gets there anyway. Um, so it, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, he's thinking solid. It's just the rest of his decisions aren't great. Yeah. 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 But I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. Like I, I added Ellis Merriweather where Melly, let me try and say his name again. Ellis Merriweather uh, in every place I could last year in the middle of the year when I saw this dude getting 20, 30 carries at UMass and that I saw that playoff schedule of like a mix of like Mac and FCS teams. I was like, this is sweet. Let's do this. And it, it worked really well. I benched him against rebel. So that wasn't helpful either. Um, my team was so stacked that I just didn't like, I was like, there's no way I can play this UMass dude, even though he's been money for me the last five weeks. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm just going to do something else instead. And obviously it didn't work. Um, but I, I feel like that's the strategy that I like and gravitate toward a little more trying to like, once you start to feel comfortable about your securing the playoff uh, positioning, then I start to think as soon as I start to feel confident about making playoffs, then I'm thinking about uh, playoff stuff, but not during draft. I think it's just a little too, uh, there's too many variables in the room. I think we've may have talked about this before. So when you draft, how concerned with bye weeks are you? Like, are you one of those people that's like, oh, no, I can't take him because I already have three guys on a week eight bye? Yeah, I would say I'm concerned enough not to go everybody week six or whatever, right? But I'm not like – CFF's crazy. You can find guys. You mm-hmm. can tell – I can – like, especially with, like, a defense, right? Like, I can find a week six defense that can be serviceable. But – is it going to determine what I pick? No. But am I going to keep it back of mind? Am I going to, is it a tiebreaker? 100%. Um, but I, I can't, best ball, it makes a lot more sense to be really conscious of it because there's so many variables. You get guys that are hurt, 
Like you're literally, I, we literally picked guys today, March 20, you know, March 30th that have to be available in weeks one, two, three. So like, you'd be crazy not to spread it out because a guy mm-hmm. could get suspended. A guy could get hurt. Uh, a guy could have a buy. So you'd be crazy yeah. not to, but like if I'm drafted in August for a redraft, probably not impacting too much yeah i guess best ball you definitely would need to you don't want you basically like, punting a week if you have them all on the same buy yeah even you can't right but like right. in march that changes way more than drafting even a best ball in august because yeah. there's so many things that can happen think about both of you guys as college kids what were you guys doing as college kids? <laughs> Anything can happen. Yeah. So I think that like the more time you get closer to the season, there's the less prop or the higher probability of people not being idiots, getting suspended and stuff like that. So yeah, long story short. Fair enough. Andrew, do you have a thought on that or no? I don't really think about it too much, <clears throat> uh, especially on in-season match teams. Best ball, I messed around a little bit last year with trying to think, well, actually – do I not need to worry too much about bye weeks on positions like tight end and defense where we have those? Uh, like, can I actually punt a week uh, just because I like this player or this this defense enough where I think that they're going to contribute more value than the other options that I'm less confident in? Um, I don't know what – like, it's only one week. Like, what's the big deal? Like, if you like that, that player, that defense so much more, maybe uh, maybe it's the right decision. Uh, but I don't know. Interesting, quick thought here, Andrew. We're doing this, um, this uh, Greg, yeah, uh, t- tight end premium draft. And maybe let's just say hypothetically, it's not a tight end premium draft. Um, like, does it make sense not to just? I mean, I'm drafting guys that like that are like decent, but like. Think about if you look at like a tight end, like how often they go like four for 24, right? Yeah. And if it's a half point, you know, it's a, let's say it's just a PPR, it's six points, right? You start two tight ends in these leagues. Like why not just pick four or five just directly at the end? I, I, thought, like, I thought about it. I did it last year in some leagues and it worked out absolutely horribly. Uh, most of the time. Did <laughs> you, wait, wait, real quick. Do you think that it, did not work out well because of the guys you picked or do you think it worked out horribly because any of those guys at the end were bad? It's a, it's a good question. I, and I think it is worth going back and try to examine. Like but looking, maybe I try it on one and then yeah, completely forget about it and never report on it. And never. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I generally am not the kind of person that's going to have a very carefully managed and curated portfolio of like not ensuring that I'm not overweight on players and stuff. Like if I got like guys, I'll just keep drafting them. Uh, and I'll take it personally when people try and move up their, their price and get ahead of me. And then I'll just keep inflating it and stuff like that. Uh, but like I, I, I grabbed Casey Kelly, Riley Smith, like these guys sucked last year. I thought they were going to be sweet and they were going to be late round values. Yeah. Um, the BC guy didn't pan out. I forget his name. Like the guy who transferred in. And, Trey Berry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a couple of good weeks, but like he, he I, was kind of banged up. It was kind of under. Jerko over, got hurt. Like it, overrated. It, it, it's yeah. kind of conspired against him. Um, yeah, but like, right? Like, what are you? What are you missing? Six and a half points. Like, if you just pick five at the end, like, is it possible if you if you do well with the bye weeks, like maybe you get away with it? Like, I don't know. I feel like in this in, tight end premium league, it's just the, it yeah, is just in, wild. I mean, we're oh, taking best, dudes dude. I've never heard of in like the sixth round. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like I got I I was super happy with the way like we've done two of these now. If the first one, I was like, I basically did what I wanted. I got the I like we have to so tight end premium in the sense we have to start two tight ends and it's PPR, but the tight the tight ends get double PPR. So. In in our first draft, I was like, I want I mapped out my strategy. I was like, all right, I, I want to grab like three tight ends in rounds like eight in between like rounds eight and twelve. And I had a collect uh like a collection of like five I wanted to draft. And I got all I got like my top three. I was like, this is awesome. I'm gonna do the same thing against next next draft. And they won't let like they went rounds like six, seven, and seven. I was like, damn it. They, I guess uh I I guess people learned and got smarter like Raptors in uh draft. We got this league. We got uh, Jaheim Bell in the seventh. We got Brant Keith in the eighth. 
Payne Durham in the seventh. I took him. Sam Laporta in the seventh. <laughs> like it, it gets Ryan Jones in the seventh. I wasn't even sure who he was until you is, took him last year. Is draft. that so, mean, like? Is that mean, is like crazy. when a tight end goes, like the floodgates open and everybody no. starts? It is a guarantee that the guy that takes Brock Bowers in the first round also yeah. takes Michael Mayer in the second. Round. Twice in a row, it was the first time it was Kyle Franchise, my dog, and then CFF guys, Josh. I mean, that's so, not terrible in that in both. that format. I mean, but I will say I don't know what Kyle did the first round, the first time around, but I was looking at it earlier. Josh went Brock and then Mayer first two rounds, and I go, I'd like pulled it up, and I was like, I swear to God, if he takes another tight end, anytime the first fifteen rounds, he's an idiot. Sure enough, he's he an waited. idiot. No, he's oh, a great guy. He's smart, man. He's he waited. He waited till week nineteen. He took a solid Josh Weil, and then he took Elijah Arroyo. So I mean, genius, right? Like if you're going to take a tight end that high in this premium league, you just have to bank on them being healthy and great. You're basically so, bookending your draft yeah. with tight ends. Yeah, I mean, why would you? Why would you continue to take guys if that's like if you believed in them so much you took those yeah. too early? So, I'm thinking I should make the change in dynasty. I've already got it kind of skewed. Let's just do double PPR and let's just roll with it. Yeah, as long as we keep it with four point for passing touchdowns, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> Andrew, I know you want to talk about a question we got. Um, I didn't know if did, did he post it. I linked to you? You it. Yeah. So no, I don't Sal, originally, Sal, I guess Sal wanted to keep it low key, and he DM'd one of your accounts. He did, and I didn't want to put that out there if it was personally yeah. to me. Right. I respect that. I'm super secretive with all my stuff too. Um, right. but then he ended up. I guess you weren't getting back to him quickly enough, and he didn't feel confident that you'd actually would. So he uh, <laughs> tweeted. In, into like the chain where I put where I posted asking for uh, topics asking for late round C two C players. Of course, none of us play. You play actually. How is your? Are you actually I, playing? Yeah. It, it hasn't done anything yet. Like they've. It's just sitting there. I'm not really sure what. You have to see the rules to this. This. <laughs> it hasn't done anything yet. I like, no no. So I created my my CFF team in fan tracks and they're still waiting for everybody to come over and create their team over there but i had like there's these rules on naming your team and i knew at that point i said okay no this, <laughs> this is, this is gonna end un- not well <laughs> like it has to be a real city with a with an actual mascot name i'm thinking like 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 what do you mean it's got to be a real city like, it could be anywhere he's like yeah it could be the moon if it wants so like no, okay no, <laughs> and then he's talking about like realignment and stuff after each season. I said, "This is too much." The only thing I'm interested in with C to C at this point in my life is I want the origin story. Like I, my my speculation is that I think Kyle created it, like the actual thing. Like there's no way this is this has just been something that's been out here and like organically came together. Some sicko actually created this thing right it's not like cff where it's like oh let's just play college fantasy football there's an nfl version we just do it here too like that's pretty organically like gonna happen right not in like any sort of obviously we're still like kind of like sheltering ourselves from the the masses don't want people to know that we're playing but this is different like c2c like there was no organic and natural progression of that like some lunatic actually crafted this as a game and wrote all the bylines akin to like, I, I think every version from what I've heard is more or less in line with what you're talking, you're talking about too. Like one of, one of my, my uh, CFF buddies, uh, Andy McPhail. I don't know if you guys follow him. He, he's a, uh, he, he lives in, he lives in England. Um, and I, I got him to join Mike's discord and he'll pop in every now and then say some British stuff, which is great. <laughs> um, but uh, he joined a C2C league and he like, he was just like, dude, the rules in this league. Like, I think that's like the right of first rite of passage that everyone has to come to grips with. Like, they no one actually knows what they're signing up for. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's exactly. But you're right. the closest to it in the sense that you actually got to the point where you've you familiarized yourself with the rules. Chris and I don't 
mess around with this at all. But that I mean, we could still offer something to sell, or at least I can. I've, I've given it yeah. way Go too much it. considerable thought. Um, but and I think I, I have three names that I want to talk to. So if I say Quick Lane Bowl, does that mean anything to you? Who played in the Quick Lane Bowl this year at on December twenty seventh at eleven a.m. That's a, two hints. A Mac school and yeah. a Big Ten school. Mac, yeah. Is that Nevada? Um, it, it was that Nevada? Yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. Game? Western Michigan and Nevada. Oh boy, I was. In, that, that was, was such a Auburn, that was such a fun, profitable I, sweat slate for me. Yeah, I was sweating <laughs> that one. Damn it! Thanks a lot but, for that. <laughs> it was good, but do you remember you I, you watched the game? Obviously, like what else? Literally, unfortunately. Do you remember yes. anything about Western Michigan's running backs that day? That was uh, that was the random. It was it was not Sean Tyler, it wasn't Ladarius, it yeah. wasn't Jackson Kincaid, it was like the fourth guy. Dude, you are I don't I don't give you He's enough on. credit. I assume I'm the only person who had like has it was like a jing, it was like something a jingba or something like that, or you Obachinga or something. You're raising, <laughs> you're, you're raising my opinion of you presently. Um but yeah, so Ladarius just randomly didn't play and we never got anywhere. Just out of nowhere. Yeah. Like he was one of the classical uh, yeah. bowl game. Uh, not, yeah. You can't even call it a late scratch because he wasn't scratch. He just didn't he, play. Did he even go pro or did he just no, chill? Because he was, was like, there I'm was taking an early day that Christmas. He's, 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 he is uh, practicing, like doing spring practice. So he's still looking But Jesus. right. So Sean Tyler did his thing, but it was, we should have seen this coming. Like Jackson Kincaid got all the run because he was the Nevada transfer. So they were just like, go, go mess up your former squad, dude, go get it. And he went for like 150 and three or something. But yeah, the, the fourth guy who was re- the third guy that day is the guy that I want to talk about. Uh, I can't even say his name. Zahir Abduz Salam. Dude. So th- this guy's from my backyard, like two miles from me. And it, he's actually got, I don't understand. He's got, he's listed as being from two places from Newark like- and U- Union, Union city, which are like, they're two towns directly adjacent to where I live in Jersey City. Um, he was a pretty—he was a pretty big prospect for them, right? Like I remember them talking about like him being like a yeah, three star, I, th- I think so. I haven't looked up right? the stars or anything like that, dude. I don't know if you remember anything about this guy. He's listed at five nine two hundred, just like the the that the James Madison guy that Josh likes. That if that dude's 100, 200, I'm one ten. Like this dude <laughs> was running like he was two fifty, like Derrick Henry type deal. He only got four carries for thirty one yards that day, but. I like I immediately took notes and I'm like this this dude at some point is going to ascend to be the like the Western Michigan running yeah. back, which is I mean Tim Lester catches shit for basically not doing enough with that program. Like seven wins with Ellaby, with Sky Moore, with um the two with Well, the yeah. I would say Ellaby I you're not wrong, but I would yeah. say Ellaby going pro is for lack of better words, dumb. But yeah. whatever. But, but I think that's a great call, right? Like you almost it's interesting. You kind of want you want a guy to not be great in a C2C, I feel like, but not be bad. So you're like, like this, okay, so he's got a good rating, a good, good like a good star rating, but he doesn't have like an immediate like success story. So he doesn't think he can go pro after three years. You want him to like not be so loving to himself that he thinks he has to be there for four years at Western Michigan. Yeah. So I think it's a great option. I think that's a great pick. Yeah, they, those dudes draft like fifty guys on the college side too. Like, and it, it, I've like you look at some of the drafts and you see like they're getting super mega producers like pretty late. But this is even later than that, obviously. But I feel like Sasha's guy, when Tyler's gone, when Darius is gone, he's going to be the RB one there. And based on the four carries we saw in that bowl game against the depleted Nevada squad, I think he's sweet. So, yeah. I mean, I think in terms of Mac, right, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Especially if you're doing like a best ball, if there's some sort of like C2C best ball format, maybe like that's a no brainer. I took Sean Tyler in this most recent best ball because like, okay, well, he's sharing some, he's sharing some time with, with Jefferson and uh, maybe Jackson Kincaid and other guys. He's gone. Like, Kincaid's gone now. Well, thank God. Praise. Uh, yeah. But like, like he's going to go off like three or, you know how it is in Mac. Like you go yeah. three or four games where a guy goes like 15 carries, 200 yards, three touchdowns. Out of, like maybe not out of nowhere, but like that, like that's kind of crazy, but like that's perfect for best ball. So if you have like that type of format, I think that makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, I thought I like him as a stash for like 2023. Um, I mean, Tyler, everyone has infinite years at this point, so who knows when Tyler's gonna be gone, when Jefferson's gonna be gone, but I, I think that this dude's gonna be the RB1 on Western Michigan, assuming they continue to be like an upper middle team and and have a system that's heavy relying on running backs, right? I think, I think there's gonna be value there. Uh, the I, other quick, two players. I wanted to jump in. Um, sure. Chris, you said he was a pretty high uh, recruit for them. Was it a lie? No, I mean, he was 24-7, has him as a three-star. There so. we go. Check me out. <laughs> Check me out. I know my Michigan schools, especially if they're directionals. <laughs> nice. Cool. Um, the other two players, so that we – I think from a C2C perspective, especially like I, I, that it makes a lot of sense to grab Dylan Goffney and Jordan Curley right now. They are probably as their value is as low as it will ever be. They've got a lot of hoops to jump through in the way of grabbing targets in 2022 at SMU with Corrales there with more there with rice there. But like, when 2021 ended, these guys were at the top of were squarely on my radar of players I absolutely needed on my 2022 CFF teams. Um, I have them on some, if not all, of my dynasty squads as holdovers from last year, thinking, okay, natural ascension, even if Dykes leaves, SMU will make a sweet hire because that that's all they do is just make really cool hires and keep the offense rolling there. And these guys will send to WR2, WR3. Goffney spelled uh, Danny Gray perfectly, had a double-digit catch game last year. Jordan Curley, I think it's Jordan, yeah. Jordan Curley was subbing in for my boy Reggie Roberson uh, in important spots in the season, basically, I think, because, A, they saw this dude could ball, and, B, Reggie was a shell of himself, like – it was it was so so hopeful of me to think that he would just come back from shredding his knee to pieces and just be the dude that we saw out there in 2020, and it just didn't happen. When they needed someone to go up and get it for like a 30 yard uh, go route and just clash and come down with the ball, they put Curly in to do that, do what Roberson used to be able to do. So I think Curly was going to be natural ascension into the Roberson role, and then they went ahead, went out there and, and brought in. Uh, Joshua Moore and Bo Corrales. And now, I mean, I still think that they're like, if you put a, a gun to my head and said, who would be more pr- productive this year, the tandem of Corrales and Moore or Goffney and Hurley, I'd probably, I, I, I would probably say more in Corrales um, just because I think that coaches do dumb things and they, they brought in their transfers that yeah. they want to play. But I think that there's well, lots of lots of outs for those guys who I feel like are the bet, better receivers, are more talented, and uh, should at some point, hopefully in 22, maybe they have to wait till 2023, ball out. Lots of thoughts here. I think that this is a great this is a great team to like think about for C2C. So, uh, I mean, like, right, Rasheed Rice is gone after this year. Moore is gone. Corrales is gone. Right, like. Without a doubt. So, like, absolute worst-case scenario, you take a Goffney, you take a Curly, which is a question I have in a second here. Uh, worst case, you're just waiting a year. And an offense that is very much, like, pass-friendly, like, wants to put it up and throw it around and have fun and do things fast. So, all great things. So, like, if you're in a C2C, I imagine lots of value in, hey, worst-case scenario – I'm getting a guy that's going to produce on my college side of things. And then, you know, like you think like Danny Gray, right? Like is a pretty, like in my opinion, is like a, he's not like groundbreaking NFL prospect, but he's interesting. Right. Um, my question is, I hear Curly and I think of, uh, is that the Jets receiver? Curly? Dude, I, I How old is Curly? He feels like, I just think he's like a 12th year senior. Yeah, I screw it up all the time, like in my head, and then putting pen to paper. And I, like on the rare occasion, I actually tweet about uh, Curly. I, I'm pretty sure I've tw- tweeted about Jeremy Curly before, thinking I was tweeting about the SMU dude. <laughs> I think 
uh, Goffney is a no-brainer, right? I think, like, in terms of SMU receiver production, like, you look at Danny Gray, you look at uh, some of these other guys, you look at what's the tight end that went there? Um, Calcaterra, right? Like, there's lots of receiving threats that can be that can be producing. So Goffney, no brainer. He had some good games. Curly, I think so too. I guess I always just perceived him as like an old guy. So I never can he transferred from Arizona State. So he's been around that's, a little bit. I think that's why I never really considered him as like a guy I have to pick up. Yeah. Um I like him though. I mean I think that's always gonna be an offense. If you're SMU, right? Like if you're Army, if you're Navy, you're not gonna just like like go to like this basic ass offense like you just can't right like you just to it's be cool blood. and to get guy yeah it's in your blood it's not like you're not recruiting being like you know what we're gonna run the i formation we're gonna run it 50 50 <laughs> we're gonna have a great time like that's not getting guys there right so i think smu is a great school to consider for c2c that's actually a good topic we can do it another day but like schools that probably will never be a playoff team will never be maybe not even a new year's six team maybe on their rare year they are one but their offense is fun and it puts up points why change it like do you think teams do that kind of thing just to be more appealing to players to, to stay relevant in terms of like you we're not going to be a boring offense to where we're just like you said running it 50 times a game and yeah i think you have to think about what your end goal is right like for a lot of years, people were saying Kansas needs to just run the triple option. And, I mean, I don't think they were wrong, right? It's the Big 12. But, like, what what is your goal? What's your end goal? Is If you're Kansas, if you could have five years of winning eight games or at best winning – Winning 11. Winning 11 and going to the Orange Bowl and losing – but the other four years you win a total of 12 games or something, right? Like there's definitely that give and take. Um, I know like Oregon state was for some reason paired in with it, which feels awful because I feel like it's like about the two, they have to have done better, but yeah. Would you trade, like, let's say Chris, we'll use you Michigan. If I said they're going to win a national championship this year, but they're going to win a total of 10 games the next three seasons. Do you take it? I would take the championship, yeah. I think, yeah, well, I, think I, I think it depends on how much the person's been hurt, you know, when that person, right? Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely a good debate, right? Like the whole Yeah, I it's all it's all expectation. Right? You brought up the offenses where like like I'll just use a team that's here like Memphis. Um, they were so bad for so long and they decided to finally when when Fuente got here to kind of spread I'll it out. That. Just hold on, hear me out. You didn't have to say that curse word. <laughs> anyway, spread it out. Just score a lot of points. We might give up a lot of points, but we're going to be in all these games because we can score. Is that not all that, that you can ask for from a team like that? Like, we're going to be in every game? Yeah. You know, but. Yeah, I think it's, there's, there's the entertainment value that goes with that yeah. too, right? Like, I don't know. I think it's a it's an interesting, fun debate that's that differs program to program. Um, I, it and it also goes fan to fan, right? Like I think there are fans mm-hmm. that love winning eight to nine games, and I think there are fans that would want the playoff appearance and getting smacked and have no issue with it. And I think it also dep- depends on how much that person's been hurt in their life. Yeah. So well, it's funny. Variables. Here's the other end of the the spectrum. Like my wife and my in-laws, they're all Alabama fans from Alabama, huge Alabama fans. And they've been winning so much that when they lose, you would think that they that they had like the season's a failure. It's like a complete just failure. But that's the expectation that they have that a playoff national championship is the expectation, not Oh, we're going to win 10 games, go to a bowl game. Have you ever been to an Alabama game at Brian Denny? I have not. So when my bachelor, when we went there for my bachelor party, uh, it was when Dak was at Mississippi State, and they were, Dak and Mississippi State were number one, and game day was there. It was this, like perfect, most amazing thing ever. <laughs> and Alabama just – like they have Derrick Henry that year, and they just 
the game was really never in doubt, but they, like Alabama was number five at the time. They knock off number one in their home stadium and all the fans were just like, yep, good job. And like <laughs> nothing even close to representative of like storm in the field or anything like that. Like everybody, everybody goes, shakes oh. hands and goes home. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, it was cool to see. Yeah. Um, all right, real quick. The, I don't know if we talked about him. I know we may have in our chat, like, Ulysses Bentley, when he went to Ole Miss, did we talk about that on the pod or did we just talk about it in the chat? I think I we, we talked have. about it. Okay. I don't I, think I, we I, have. I don't think we have. Really? I don't know that we have on the pod. I, I thought maybe it was in our chat. We have on the pod. I have such an introspective takeaway. I thought we talked about it that, like, Bentley and – you're right. I don't think we have. Bentley and Evans, as much as I hate to admit it, like, there is more similarity between them than there is difference in a lot of ways. I think to date, right. They've, they've flashed. Neither of them has been able to hold up for anything representative of a full workload across the entire season. We have kind of seen them in that or have the chance to take a workhorse type role. And what happened next for Bentley multiple times for Evans once was it just did not work out due to injury we can read into that however we want right with evans there's potentially more variables in the equation with benley pretty much like he was he was injured and uh both each of the last i think it was i think he was hurt in 2020 definitely 2021 um and i think that's fair to kind of make an assumption that it was due to the, the workload that they tried to give him why it's introspective for me is i have never been on bentley um i've never want, been really interested in drafting him, but I love Evans. But yeah. when I take a step back and think about it, like these guys are more similar than I would like to admit. Uh, mm. And I probably shouldn't I, be as harsh on Benley as I am. I think you give yourself not as much credit as you deserve on Evans. I think Evans gets a bad rap for like the whole pre-college thing. Yeah. And he was kind of banged up or what we don't even even know probably – then he was playing, and then TCU's a bunch of idiots, and they just play him a little bit, and then a lot, and like it, like when he played, he was awesome. I yeah, mean, he, he was just it. straight awesome, right? Ulysses S. Bentley, like, <laughs> did I say S? Like, I, I mean, like, just you can't not, right? Um, I don't know. Like, I just feel like he feels like a guy that's just straight. Uh, offense based, it's straight pace, it's level of competition, and I'm not saying the Big 12 that is that much better or whatever, but like it just feels like he has had injuries as well, but his performance have have been super high and low, and he's gotten a ton of touches all the time, like when he's played. I would love Evans 100%. So, like, going into now having Evans and Bentley at Ole Miss, which loves, at least this past year, splitting carries amongst a bunch of guys for some reason. Lane Kiffin, what are you doing? You're clever in every facet of life except for football sometimes. Um, Like, I don't feel confident with Bentley. Like, I just don't. Like, I don't feel – what is he going to get, 12 touches? What am I getting out of that? Yeah, like he's better. He's very touchdown dependent at that point. He's very much twelve of those of uh, those twelve touches. You better get three catches. Like that's where I feel like, and I'm just never gonna, never gonna draft him at that point. No, he's he's yeah. off the table in most leagues at this point. I, yeah. I never real like so. I was drafting a lot of Evans in our first few drafts, and I don't think. The argument for Evans is never – it's never been and it never needs to be one that he need like he needs to be this dude who sees 25, 30 carries to return value. Like he was getting 15 carries and like five targets last year yep. and was just crushing it when healthy. Yep. And that could yep. still happen like sharing the load with Benley, right? Mm-hmm. I was hoping that in our latest draft in, in Greg's uh, Sicko League that – Evan, like the Evans news would news would be perceived a little more negatively, and he, I would be able to get him at like round four or five. But someone reached up and grabbed him in three, uh, which I mean, good on them. Uh, but we we talked like there was a lot of talk on Twitter. Uh, it seemed about Benley hurting 
Evans stock now and maybe a little mm. ceiling is taken away, right? But I think more or less things remain static in terms of what you can realistically dream on for Evans. Yeah, I would say that's true if we believed he was going to be a high-touch guy yeah. pre-Bentley. And I just don't think that's the case. We have not seen any evidence of that. We had Snoop Connor. <laughs> we had all these other guys, right? Like mm-hmm. getting a bunch of touches, uh, Henry Parrish and Ely. Uh, Ely, right? Like, I mean, they were good players for sure. Not necessarily Snoop Connor. Uh, but... Like they were all spreading around. Like, so why am I thinking that like Evans' value is dependent on touches? It's not. It's it's like you said, right? Like, give them the fifteen to eighteen touches. The Ole Miss is going to score like crazy as long as he gets those. He's fine. Do you mm-hmm. think Altmeyer versus Dart is decided? I think that's decided. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I don't think I, there's. A, I think that's a no brainer. Like you would have to be crazy to think that all i mean altmeyer had an interesting showing in the what was it the bowl game last yeah. year i just don't think when you have dart it's, it'd be hard to and i'm not even the biggest dart guy i just think that you'd be crazy to think that dart's not gonna win that one yeah i mean, kind of goes back to the like why transfer there if you really don't have the inside track to get but it this is the this is the portal right. thing right he's just gonna he's gonna sell snake oil uh, <laughs> but i mean i, I was I was also he snake oiled me into believing that he might start JRP over Corral his first year there, and obviously that wasn't happening. So, so just in the vein of like, okay, is this a real com- competition kind of deal? But Almeyer and Dart are both top hundred recruits from the same class. Uh, Dart's a little higher up, right? I think he's like top fifty ish. I don't really follow that stuff, but I rely on all the all the all the lunatics that I follow to, inform, to bring the information to me. Uh, but. All, like all Meyer made one throw in that ball game that was like, all right, this is why this dude is like a, a legit recruit. Like, but like, yeah, I it, I try very actively to give players a clean slate relative to when they get thrown into ball games because I've been burned or just in games in general, like backups coming yeah. in in there, not because uh, I've been burned on it too many times where I've just formed assumptions based on a backup coming into a game and it turns out like. Dude was he's been playing with backups all year. Like, how is he gonna expect be expected to perform up to the quality of starter in that setting? Um, but I don't know. I I would like to think that it's not decided. Um, I'd like to see if people are taking Dart in the fourth round get burned. Uh, but it probably is. Yeah, I think. I mean, I get it, right? It's kind of like the we talked about it earlier, right? And I'm pretty anti. I think it's what Sam Heard. Uh, at Washington, uh, I'm not even going to respect the fact that I know or maybe not know his first name, but it's the same thing, right? Like, of course, he's going to be awful. Like, he just yeah. he's, playing, he's a true freshman, and he was playing with a bunch of backups in practice. Like, of course, he's going to be bad when he starts for the first time, and that's 100% acceptable. That's 100% reasonable. Um, Altmeyer, like, it's almost, I was reading, this is going to be really off kilter so i apologize it's fine i was reading these tweets by this piston detroit pistons guy and he was talking about rookies in the nba and he was like i care about the positives a guy does the amount of them he does rather than the negatives he does and because he over time experience will help him lower the negatives and i think he said it was 20 positives to 15 negatives over time, he can lower those 15 negatives, right? But he can always increase those 20 positives. Like, think about even if he stays at 20 positives, but he lowers his negatives, that's a great efficiency rate, right? But, like, if you're really efficient and you do six positive good things and one negative thing, you have a great efficiency rate, but you're not doing a whole lot positive. And I think that's a lot of like what Dart did was like he did a lot of great stuff there at USC. He got hurt. He moved on. Um, but I just think like when you're young, if you can flash a ton of positives, I feel like I'm way more all in than a guy that might, you know, maybe not make as many mistakes, maybe doesn't do a ton of positives, but just doesn't do a whole lot of negatives. Like who wants Cade McNamara, right? Like I imagine that guy is like a 
a freshman sophomore that would have just been a total game manager would have won some games but like i don't want that in fantasy like i don't i don't want to touch that because what's he improving yeah that's fair all right so we've already almost at an hour there's one topic andrew brought up i want him to to kind of explain because i'm not really sure exactly where he's going with it um you wanted to talk about a world where a large scale best ball tournament exists. We need like two hours for this because I, I need you to just kind of give me a rundown on what you're talking about. A large scale in terms of. Do you not mess with, like I know you live in like the sticks out in Mississippi. Yeah. Right? Like, I, do you have access to playing underdog or playing uh, best ball football NFL on DraftKings? Like internet. <laughs> I probably do, but I just haven't. True, it, dude. Best NFL best ball is just the the best way to kill time, burn money in the off season. Like the slow, slow drafts with like four hour clocks or whatever, eight hour clocks, and probably like, probably nothing better than going to the beach, just chugging a bunch of beer and just drafting <laughs> like slow drafting NFL teams. Dude, it's I great. Did it in held uh, in Hilton Head this past summer, amazing. It was awesome. So I'm with you. Yeah, and it's. Like I, it, at in the NFL game, right? I, there's no way I'm going to attain anything close to an edge, so I'm just lighting money on fire um, in those tournaments. But the the idea, right, is there. It's just you join join a 12 person league. Everybody does their their best ball draft, and you're playing for um, you do best ball for the NFL version, right? You do best ball scoring through the first uh, 14 leagues in the construct of your 12 team league. And then the top two teams advance, and then new 12-team leagues or something akin to that is created with people who advanced, top one or two advanced to new leagues, right? The pyramid is shrinking. Mm. And then the final, like, week 17 uh, is, like, there's 50 teams remaining, and everyone there uh, is playing for, uh, like, big prizes. It's, it's, it's awesome. So something like that for college football. I mean, could you even imagine, like, what that would be like? So – First of all, it'd be interesting. Like, I love the idea of like trying to understand the infrastructure around stuff of, like this. Like, Fantrax catches a lot of shit in some cases, rightfully so. But I can't imagine like what it must be like to set up all the feeds, uh, like working to um, have all those tables joining to each other and having this thing actually work properly and make it in a way that allows for customization at the league level. Um, it, it feels like a lot. So, I, but, how would you how would you draft that? Do you have like early inclinations or thoughts about how you would draft your team, knowing that you have to be top two? So I know you didn't, you probably didn't read the rules to Greg's league, but like there's an overall component to his. Are you familiar with that? Of course not. I don't read league rules. <laughs> so, what are you talking about? So the the Greg's uh, Debbie Warehouse's best ball championship series, right? We're do- drafting our twelve team leagues. The the Whoever wins each of those leagues gets money, but then and then also all of our points from the, the twelve. I admittedly read it wrong like the first four times, so I'm not really one to talk. Uh, I didn't really understand where it was actually going until midway through our second draft. But um, all the points from the twelve leagues, you sum them all up, right? And the top, uh, you sum up your scores across the twelve leagues, and at the end, uh, top three teams get paid off, get paid out for uh, based on how many points you score across all your leagues. Um, so that's a little different than what we're talking about, like a large scale best ball in the sense that it's not just the same 12 people competing against each other. Right. Um, it's getting like a large scale best ball. Maybe you could do 150 drafts. Right. But you're going to be competing against thousands of people. So different equation. Um, but I th- it would be so funny, I think, to just like say, uh, do you follow NFL best ball Twitter at all? You probably do just by like, no. Okay. Maybe not. I don't think so. I don't think so. So, uh, it, like, you've got different people with different schools of thought, but a lot of it is so data-driven, just like a lot of NFL fantasy, right, of trying to uh, uh, base off of base drafts off of projections, and then you've got game theory components for stuff like this as well, um, giving consideration to APP, given consideration to when I want to just be contrarian uh, to try and capture uh, stacks and to, or I guess those things aren't really correlated, like be contrarian relative to the field, um, capture stacks to, um, to try and maximize uh, scoring 
Um, right. But trying to see, it'd be so interesting to see how those principles apply slash do not apply in college football. Right. Cause a lot of them won't apply. Like good luck trying to, to build uh, projections and maintain them for C- CFB pre uh, kickoff of week one. Right. And have that actually uh, be something that is going to, that you're going to apply in the same way as NFL, which I think a lot of people would just do. Right. I mean, one of the main problems with something like this is trying to actually a convince um, a site to run it, b getting enough buy-in from thousands of people. I think you would see um, just because I think you would see people try it. I don't know if it would get like how it would do year one, year two type kind of deal. Um, the, I think that some of the people that would be most successful though are the people that like to do information-based uh, betting, right? Like your boy Amico, who likes to dig up draft props. Um, which is a, a game that I am sucking too much of my time into this year. Yeah, like I'm yeah. obsessed at this point. Uh, but but pe- people like that who want to uh, make decisions based off of uh, information games, I think would do really well in something like this. Right. Um, but I think that, I don't know. I like one of the things I love about uh, season long CFB and just CFB in general is how hard it is to quantify a lot of the variables so, mm-hmm. so many people like to play NFL fantasy, NFL DFS, NFL basketball based off of a data-driven game. I don't know if I, like it would be interesting to see how those same people, how that translates to something like college football, uh, yeah. large-scale basketball. I think what's really interesting about CFF compared to NFL is that, like, there's such a huge difference in, like, your top performers and what's the average – like in things that you think would not be possible, like Jared at one point was talking about best quarterback running back stacks. Like, could you imagine an NFL person being like, this is a great quarterback running back stack. <laughs> like they would have, their mind would blow up. Right. But like, it almost kind of made sense. Like Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn, like imagine the upside with those two. Right. Like, I think it's just such an interesting concept because there are so many crazy differences between the two. You know, you got Jarrett Passing out here scoring like 80 fantasy points. Like, it's hard <laughs> to like, you know, I listen to Amico, who's great, Anthony Amico, if you're not a, a fan of him, but uh, you don't know him. But he's so good on data. And he's like, you know, you got to like stack this and do this and do that. And I just think that with CFF, there are ways to get to that point where it's like, you have to do this. You have to do this, but there's so much outlier that it just blows up everything that you have no idea. Like it could well, just our information is so poor, right? Our yeah. information, it's so peaceful. It's so piecemeal. It's so poor. Um, it's constantly changing. Now information is not, it's not just like it's dispersed like out there and like you have to go out and actively seek it. It's push versus pull right. And you have to go and pull out a lot of that information. Um, so the idea that everyone has access um, or has attained the same information to populate their projections, which is generally the case with NFL, right? It's just not the case with CFB. Yeah. I mean, I think um, NFL is tough too, because it, well, not tough. It's more just, kind of set you know who the great players are whereas in college great players can pop up any week for any given mm-hmm. team. um like you know Devonte adams is going to get his looks like you just know that whereas in college like a guy that's not played much at all steps in and now he's getting 10 yeah. 12 targets like a guy you've maybe never even heard of or you're like, yeah, he's. I know he's there, but he hasn't gotten any run. Why would I think he's getting run this week? And it kind of leans back to Andrew's point. The information isn't there to, to be able to know that, whereas in the NFL they might say, oh, he's practicing with the ones today. You know, like in college. Do you, do you, out there. I'm totally down with it. I get it. Uh, I agree with it in terms of, like, the fact that there's just not enough data and information out there for college football. But I think it's so like the sport is so crazy that even if you have the sport or have the data, yeah, it's not going to necessarily like put you on that straight and narrow towards yeah. winning. And like, I think there's just so many crazy variances within it, which is I think by the way why we love fantasy yeah. college football. Like I think this kind of goes with like the last pod is that like the fact that anything can. I picked up Jack Sorensen. 
in like week three on the waiver wire in the league last year. And it was amazing. And the guy was just incredible. And I felt like a, just a, like Superman and words I can't even say on this before going <laughs> explicit. So like, I think it's that type of stuff that makes the sport so fun to do fantasy, but yeah, it's just really interesting. I don't, I don't think there's a guarantee, even if we had the data, yeah, there's so many so many variables, so much variance because in the NFL there's 32 teams, whereas in college you have 100. Was it now 130? 32 or something like that. Yeah. Like, there's guys that I might like that nobody else would even consider, and vice versa. Like yeah. you, just, you might have your guy that plays for App State or for Troy or whoever, and you're on this guy real heavy. And you take that chance, you grab this guy in your best ball, and he pops, and he's a star. You're going to look really good come end of the season because you've got that guy and not very many people do. But in it's, NFL, it, everybody's considered. Yeah, yeah. everybody yeah. knows the two or three deep, right? Like, yeah. like Ellis Merriweather until like halfway, maybe two-thirds of last season, through that season, I had no idea who that guy was. He was producing. He was doing a great job. He was awesome. And then it still took me weeks to know who he was. And like, I follow, like I clearly, I follow college fantasy football a good bit, but that's just the sport. It's amazing. There's just, it's almost like there's so much information. You don't have enough time. And the problem with that is that like, there's also like, if you're like, you know what, like, well, I do this professionally. There's not enough money out there to do this professionally. You know, NFL, NBA, MLB, you can literally quit your day job and just do that specifically. If you do it well, you can make more than your day job. So you can, you can basically, well, be, well, for one, I just make way too much money on my day job. Fair but enough. Two, Fair enough. It's just the prize pools are not there, right? I think Andrew and I were talking about Dude, this. It's so annoying. Like you're, you're, when you're playing daily fantasy, well, real quickly, because we're at the hour mark. Mm-hmm. When you're playing daily fantasy football, it, the prize pools are so top heavy that like very, very, very much 1% winnings, like that top end, like there's a huge difference between getting first place and fifth place. And you're talking about like a five or 10 or 15,000 person entry pool. Like it's crazy. Like you join at 15 bucks and fifth place is like $500. You're like, that's nice. But you know, first place is 50 K and I just won $500 for getting first, like fit. Like that's insane, but that's just where it's at. And then I think that's just another level of the difference between CFB NFL, but I don't mind it. We love it. We, 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 uh, pod to 54 people, nine subscribers or whatever it is, because we just love it. It's just a fun sport. Right. I think we're going to cut it there though. We could go on, like Andrew said, two more hours on this topic. Um, but we're going to cut it there and, uh, unless you guys have something else to add real quick. No? All right. Good. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Um, don't know what time, but we'll be back next week. Until then, later, guys. See you guys.